You are listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit jointheventure.com or facebook.com slash jointheventure. We hope you enjoy. It's Easter Sunday. I love Easter. Easter's a, a kind of a weird holiday uh, for me because it kind of sneaks up on me. Because every year I'm like, what day is Easter this year? And sometimes it's in April, sometimes it's in March. It just kind of sneaks up on me. In our culture, there are some holidays that we totally count down to. They don't sneak up on us at all. We count down. Like Christmas. Christmas, we start. I got friends that celebrate Christmas. They start counting down like in June. They're ready. Like they got the tree up. And I'm like, come on. Like we're still got a bathing suit on. Look at it. But they're ready, right? And so it's like June and July and they're celebrating East, uh, Christmas. They're going to decide we count down to it. If you're like most people in America, like it or not, about Thanksgiving time, you're thinking about Christmas. And there's a lot of things that we do that with. Some holidays we uh, we schedule our vacations around, you know, Memorial Day or Fourth of July. I mean, we count down to that because I'm ready for a week off. I'm ready to get away for the weekend, go down to go to the beach, go to the lake, go out to the mountains, whatever you do on those holidays. We count down to that. We count down to like our birthdays. It's two weeks till my birthday. You have friends like that? I'm like, I don't care when your birthday is. Like, just just celebrate. You'll get older, and then eventually you'll quit bragging because you'll be like 90. And so, but it's, it's you know, we count down. It's certain peg dates that we get excited about. But Easter, maybe it's just me, but I, it kind of sneaks up on me. It's like, oh, junk, tomorrow, Easter? Yeah, sweet, okay. But, you know, Easter is something that, uh, that God's been counting down to for a long time. Uh, today, we, you, there's been this slide that's been on the Internet, and we've got it on the screen behind me, and it just says this. Easter 2015, countdown to victory. Because there's a lot of things that we really count down to. And maybe Easter is an exciting time for you. Maybe you do enjoy the Easter egg hunts or the, I don't know, the Saturday morning sales at some uh, grocery store or something. I don't know. But, um, you know, God set up a plan a long time ago, counting down to the first Easter. In fact, he was, he was pretty pumped about it. When you look at uh, what's going on with Easter, if anything else, Easter is a story of God's countdown to something very specific. And the word is victory. Victory. Like we love to see victory. Anybody see uh, a basketball game last night that Kentucky played in? Yeah, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're wishing for some victory, right? And if you're a Duke fan, you're like, yeah, we made it, right? Because we love victory stories. And man, the story of Easter is a story of God's counting down to victory. Th- this is why, because... Every time I make a choice that goes against what God desires for my life, there's a word for that. And the word is sin. It's, we don't like to talk about sin. It's an ugly word in our society. It's like, man, don't tell me what I'm doing wrong. Don't judge me. Don't tell, your right is your right and my right is my right. And that's, that's bull. That's not what God says. God says, I have a standard and I want you to live up to it. And when you don't do that, that's called sin. And even though we don't like to talk about it, there's a reality there that sin does something to us spiritually. It separates us from God. Not because he's this big, uh, mean old monger God who just is wanting to cast out damnation on everybody. That's not who God is. God is because actually your sin makes you incompatible with me. Like I'm pure and I'm holy and I'm perfect and and I want to be with you. But the decisions that you've made have made your soul imperfect. Easter is God's plan to count down to a day when that imperfection doesn't matter where he can do something about it see the fact that we have this sin in our life and this stuff that separates us from god it's a problem because we like to fix stuff 
I love to fix stuff. I love, man, I spent all day yesterday just working. I painted a hallway in my house this weekend. We built like this garden and a raised bed thing. I love, I love to build with wood. I love to work with metal. I love to just step back and look at the, the, the creation of my hands. Like I like to look, like, I'm, I love that. I love to see that because I love to fix stuff. My kids are always bringing me broken toys. Like, dad, we fix this. I'm like, well, yes, I can. And if I can, I'm like, where's that toy? I can't find it because I love to, f- and I hate to admit when I can't fix stuff, but here's the problem. When it comes to my sin problem, I can't fix that. And we try. We really do. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me right now. We do. I, I try. I try to cover it up. I try not to talk about it. I try to put it under the rug or stick it in the closet. I try to, I try to like make up for it by doing good things. I try to maybe, I, I've been to counseling for things that I struggle with. I've, I, I've got to friends and I've, I'm accountable to them. And I talk about my problems. But you know, when it comes right down to it, it's still there. I can't fix that. You know, Easter is a celebration of God counting down to a day where he says, I can and I will fix that. And it's all because of Jesus. See, the problem with sin is that it steals life. It takes our life spiritually. And in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is the first like two-thirds of the Bible that talks about the history of God's people and how he moves through the world and how he's preparing the world for Jesus, that's the Old Testament of the Bible. God had a plan to deal with sin. And it was basically this, a life for a life. Like your sin has separated you from me, but it's okay because we can take another life to take the place for your life. The priests of the Old Testament, the Jewish priests, they would make animal sacrifices and there would be lamb, and there would be birds, there would be sacrifice. And in our, in our super sensitive culture, you kind of step back and look at that and go, that's inhumane. Why would you do that? Well, it's, it's inhumane to take life. God gave it to us, and we took it. And he said, that's inhumane. And so the only penalty, the only payment for that is life. But the problem with the Old Testament system is that it didn't actually fix the problem permanently. A sacrifice was only as good until, say, the next time you mess up. <laughs> then you got to do it again. God said, I've got a permanent plan. I've got a solution, and I'm preparing the world for it. And it's Jesus. See, Jesus is God who decided he was going to become human. Now, that's a huge concept to take in. And I think a lot of times, like, my guess is maybe you, if, if you're not a Christian or you haven't been to church much, you might gather that, like, I, I think that's what Christians believe. But, like, you really step back and think about that. Really? Okay, if someone is going to claim to be God, they better prove it. That's also what Easter's about. A man who claimed to be God proving it. Jesus would become the ultimate sacrifice to cover up the mistakes. He would be the fix. He would be, as he is described in the Bible, the Lamb of God that comes to take away all the sin of the world. I, I want to give us some background uh, on Easter. I love sharing this part of God's story. Uh, the story of Easter, it actually starts on a pretty solemn Sunday morning. Okay, so go with me on a little journey. We're going to take a little journey. If you've got a Bible with you and you want to open it up, there are some. Our room is full, and so our Bibles are probably scattered sparsely. But there's some Bibles under your seats if you didn't bring one. Also, feel free to get on the Internet and look at the Bible or if you're bored, Facebook, whatever. And um, also, we'll have the scriptures on the screen behind me. But we're going to be taking a look at the story of Easter in the book of Matthew, which is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life in the beginning of the New Testament of the Bible. So Matthew in chapter 28, you can go and turn there. Um, but Easter kind of starts on a solemn Sunday morning. So today is Sunday, and I want to take you on a journey as if it was our real life. And so we're going to rewind to this past Friday. What were you doing this past Friday? Think about it, okay? You remember that? It wasn't that long ago. It was only two days ago. 
A lot can happen in three days. A whole lot can happen in three days. So we're going to go back to the Friday before the first Easter. And it, it was a quite a scene. You can read about it in the Bible, but basically what happens is Jesus, who had been such a patient teacher, such a great leader, such a humble man, had gained such a following of thousands of people, tens upon thousands of people. Jesus suddenly is arrested by a group of religious leaders who didn't like the things he was saying. He's hastily put through this bogus trial. He's drugged through, basically through the middle of the night, through this trial where he's accused of all kinds of things, and among which, and most importantly, he was claiming to be God. Which, by the way, if you were a Jew, that's against the law. In fact, claiming to be God was a, was a crime punishable by death. So he goes through this trial, and Jesus actually never denies that he claimed to be God or that he was God. And so, as a result, he's sentenced, and he gets passed along to the executioners. At first, they, they beat him savagely. This is a man who, who was claiming to be the son of God, and he had all this following. He was the humblest, meekest guy you could ever imagine. Now he's being beat by soldiers, and eventually he's hung on a cross, and he's left to die. And he does die. He takes his last breath. And the people who are standing around are just kind of stunned, especially those people who thought, I, I, I thought he was the the real deal i thought he was god how does god die how is that possible he's laid in a tomb kind of like a cave and a big stone is rolled over now here's the thing that's that those are those are kind of the facts of the story that pretty much anybody accepts as historical like there was a guy named jesus and he lived and he died and he there was a kind of a, a religious uprising because of him and that's pretty much whether you're a christian or you're not i mean you look back through history and that's something that pretty much everybody readily accepts the next day was saturday Saturday for the Jews is a day of worship and, and not work. And so not much happened on Saturday. Sunday, that's the day, we pick up Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Uh, again, uh, I said Saturday was a day of rest. They call it Sabbath. And so we're going to start with Sabbath. Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1, it says, After the Sabbath, or Saturday, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. That, take that in. Like, I just read it like it was a fairy tale, but an angel of the Lord, there was an earthquake, okay, in this tomb. What? Um, verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, talking about an angel, and his clothes were as white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified, but he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. So come and see the place where he lay. So they did. They go, look, he's not there. Then quickly, go and tell his disciples, his followers. Tell them that he has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into Galilee, which is a city up the road, and there you will see him. Now I have told you. I love how he ends this little proclamation. Now I have told you. <laughs> Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb and yet filled, afraid, yet filled with joy, ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. If you've been at church for very long been a Christian for a while, it's easy to hear this story and just, it just rolls off, off your back. Like, cool, yeah, yeah, 
Jesus did die. Jesus died and rose from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then at Christmas, he came as a baby. And four months later, he died on a cross. Every year. It happens every year. Now pass the spiral cut hand. Let's do an Easter egg hunt. Let's go. Like, it's just, and I'm not trying to be trite about it, but it's just, you know, we take it for granted. It's a man rose from the dead. Here's the thing. If you aren't from that background, you hear this story. I don't know about you, but I've been to a funeral. In fact, I've been to, I counted this week, between 20 and 30 funerals, which is a lot for someone my age. I'm 33. That's a lot of funerals, okay? And I'm stepping back, and, and they're, they're different in many ways. Like uh, some are more reverent than others. Some are more like celebratory. Some were totally expected. Maybe it was an elderly person or someone who had been suffering from a disease for a while, and, and you kind of expected it. Some were tragic, and so, you know, a teenager or a baby or something. You're just like, oh, man, this, this is unexpected. And so there's this, there's this shock factor. There's a lot of different factors that make funerals different, but I'm going to tell you one thing that makes them all the same. The person who is dead stays dead. That's a fact about funerals. So when we read this story about this man, Jesus, who died on the cross, lays in the tomb, and three days later they go and check, and the tomb is empty, and an angel says, he is risen from the dead. We need to take a step back and go, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. We need to discuss this. Okay? We need to understand where this is coming from. Uh, you know, I want to take a step back and do that right now, because I think that sometimes when it comes to faith, uh, I, I remember being like this when I was a kid, and, and I'd have questions, and then uh, my parents did a great job of answering my questions, but, uh, you know, when you're like, six and you just keep on asking questions you're like but why is cereal crunchy <laughs> i don't know ask your mom like but th- th- there's this point at which though where we ask questions about big things like this and people go oh, you just gotta have faith you just gotta have faith yes you gotta have faith that's a big part of it but seriously if someone rose from the dead i feel like that would be something that someone could verify in some way <laughs> right and i think that they can Let, let's talk about this question did jesus rise from the grave did he uh maybe you've had the same question and i think maybe the first place to start is is was the tomb actually empty if you look back through and you follow i mean i'm not going to go on this trail i encourage you actually we've got a blog that i'm going to be posting this week on uh, jointheventure.com our website that's going to have a lot of this information and some sources that you can check out yourself don't take my word for any of this don't ever take my word for anything listen to what i say and then go study on your own that's why god gave us good brains but I, from my research, this is what I've come to conclusion of. So we're going to post some of those things on our website this week. Um, but the question is, okay, if the, if the tomb was empty, why was it empty? It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody rose from the dead. The, the biggest uh, kind of alternative answer that people have come to, and it's a pretty, a pretty good one, is that perhaps the body was stolen. That makes sense. Because have you been to a funeral? Do people normally walk out of graves? No. And so, well, if the body wasn't there, there needs to be a good reason for that. Um, the most likely candidates for having stolen the body would have been Jesus' followers, I think. His disciples. Because they had everything to lose. They've been riding on his coattails for a couple of years now and talking to all big, to all the religious officials and all the political officials who said, Yeah, we got the Messiah, what? And then all of a sudden he's gone. What's their motivation? Save face. I got to take this body because he said he was going to raise from the dead, so we got to make it look like he did. Okay, so that that is the that's the conclusion that many people have come to. But I want to take a step back because uh, when you look into the story a little bit more, I think that that's probably unlikely. First, when you consider the highly controversial nature of Jesus's sentencing, the way that it went down, uh, the tomb where the body was laid was guarded by Roman guards. 
These are well-trained soldiers, okay? And they're standing there, and Roman soldiers have a, a reputation of doing their job and doing it well. In fact, it's pretty well understood that if a Roman guard was to fail at his post, the penalty for him would, would possibly be death. He could have been killed for having failed at his post. So someone stole the body, and his only job was to guard the body because there were people who thought that someone might steal the body. That's why the guards were there in the first place. They're going to guard their post as much as possible. There's no evidence that these men were slaughtered or strangled. It said they just kind of fell down and started shaking. That's what, that's what the, the pastor said. No one claims that they were, like, missing. Where are the guards? No, they were there. They woke up like, what happened? But the thing about these guards puts us in a position when we have to compare them now to the disciples. If the disciples were the people that stole the body, they would have had to contend with these guards to start with. These guys were terrified. The disciples of Jesus. In fact, let's look at this little, it's just a little scripture, but Matthew 26, 56, it says this. All the disciples deserted him and fled. That's the story. That Jesus gets arrested and the disciples are like, oh, what should we do? What should we do? Run and hide. And that's exactly what they do. In fact, there's only one of the disciples that I think might have had the guts enough to stand up to these guards. This guy named Peter. Peter earlier had gotten in a fight with a guard. If you know the story, he did that. And it was a pretty, pretty crazy story. But Peter would, would have been the only one to have the guts enough to do this, looking at the, the guys that were there. But the last time we saw Peter, he had been approached by a little girl who said, Excuse me, sir, aren't you one of the guys that was following Jesus who's on trial right now? And Peter, Mr. Big Bad Bold Peter, says, Uh, no. No, you must be thinking of someone else. I don't know the man. And then he runs away. So even Peter was running scared. And so what I want us to do is to take a look and think for a second. Imagine these guys. There's 11 of them now. There had been 12 disciples, the closest followers of Jesus. Judas was one who actually betrayed Jesus. And so by now he's already committed suicide once he realized what he did. And that's a sad story. But there's 11 left. And I want you to picture these 11 terrified men who have dispersed and are in hiding. Now saying, guys, let's go take on Roman guards. Let's put our life at risk. Let's roll the stone away. Now, maybe, maybe still, that's still reasonable. But then I want to play the story forward. Because the story says that three days later, after the body had gone missing, then the disciples come busting into town. And what are they saying? He's alive. He's risen. Jesus risen, just as he said. He keeps saying this and saying this and saying this. They keep saying it and saying it and saying it. They say it and say it and say it. And they go to street corner after street corner, house after house, synagogue after synagogue. And they keep saying, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. To the point that the officials, the politicians, the government leaders, the religious leaders, they said, we are tired of hearing this. You guys are going to cause another rebellion. You need to stop. So they arrest one of them. And they say, if you don't stop saying that Jesus rose from the dead, we are going to kill you. And you know what he says? Jesus has risen from the dead. His name was James. And they killed that man with a sword. Now you're the other ten disciples. One of your leaders, James, is down. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would die for a lie? Like, many people won't die for the truth. <laughs> How many of you are going to die for a lie? And so let's say one guy goes down and the other nine go, listen, we got to stand by this. this Jesus guy. He was our friend. Let's stand by the story. He rose from the dead. Okay, guys, that's our story. We're sticking to it. You know what happens? Another one is executed. And another one and another one and five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them end up being killed 
because they won't renounce their faith that Jesus rose from the dead. Only one of those original 12 disciples dies a natural death. His name is John, and we find his story in the book of Revelation. He gets exiled to an island. He dies there for his faith. You know, would you die for a lie? Not only do disciples stand up for what they believe in, they're willing to give their life for it. Was the grave empty? Yes. The grave was empty. People have talked about it through history. You can look it up. Is it believable that he rose from the dead? Well, these guys gave their life for that fact. And I feel like that's reason to believe that it is very believable. But you know what? We don't have to just stand on that. There's one more thing I want to show you. You would think that if Jesus were going to do something amazing like raise from the dead, he would appear to more than just his inner circle, right? Because of course they're going to, maybe they're all crazy. Maybe they all drank crazy Kool-Aid and they're just all, people have done that for religions all the time, okay? The Bible talks about how Jesus not only appeared to them, but he appeared to a lot more people. In fact, we have a record of over 500 of them. I want to read you one of the passages. This is from the Apostle Paul, who is one of the people that Jesus appeared to. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, chapter three, verse, or verse 3, verse through 7. It says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. This is what he's telling the church at Corinth. He says that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. According to the scripture is a phrase that means this was prophesied a long time ago and it came true. So according to the scriptures, let me read that again. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It had been prophesied and it happened. And he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 of those brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep, some have died, but most of them are still alive. And then he appeared to James and then to all the other apostles. Read between the lines of what's here. (laughs) Most of them are still alive. He's saying, listen, Jesus appeared to these people and they're still alive. Go ask them. And people did. And those people said, "Uh, yeah, (laughs) I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. It was incredible. Did Jesus raise from the dead? I think he did. I think he rose from the dead, and if he did, man, that changes everything. That means that God's countdown to fixing our problem had happened. And it was three, two, one. Happy New Year. Countdown to victory. Which brings us to the point of Easter. Easter's not a story about death. Maybe you've seen the images of Jesus hanging on a cross, crucifix. He's laying there, he looks all sad, and he's got the thorns on his head, and And that's a good thing to remember. We need to remember that. But I'm going to tell you what. That's not how Jesus stayed. Easter's not a story about death. Easter's a story about life. Easter's a story about resurrection and new life and what God can bring to us. Nothing that we can do can fix the problem that we have with sin. Nothing can bridge the gap. And God knew that the only solution was for him to come and to destroy the effects of sin in our life. What sin does is it takes away our spiritual life and our connection with God. It also has led and ultimately to the, the downfall of our physical bodies. That's what sin has done. And God said, I'm going to fix that by coming to earth as Jesus. And I'm going to defeat the one thing that sin has over us, which is death. I'm going to beat its tail. And I'm going to rise from the grave. And that anyone who has faith in me won't have to be separated from God forever. But can have eternal life with him. I love this verse from Romans chapter 5. Let's just read this. It says this, Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, remember God is counting down to victory. At just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
this sacrifice was made before I was born. Before I had a chance to screw up my whole life, God already provided a way out for me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. You'd probably take a bullet for, you know, a family member or someone that you love closely. But not for someone who's just a scumbag, <laughs> right? Like, no, you, you deserve that, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He came to give us victory over sin and death, and it's something that we can't do on our own. A few verses later, Paul says this in verse 10. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through death, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Man, this is Jesus who not only had the power to be the Lamb of God, to bear the guilt of sin in our life, but the power of God to defeat death and rise. Woo! Take that in. <laughs> Think about it. It's powerful. Powerful. Here's the truth that I understand. That life gives birth to life. That's what I've observed in nature. Right? I've got two children. My wife was alive when that happened. Right? You ever had, you ever had puppies in your house? Yeah, where'd they come from? Life. Seeds come off of plants, plants that are alive. Life gives birth to life. Death doesn't give birth to life. Life gives birth to life. Around the world, there are religions and philosophies grounded in the thoughts and ideas and creeds of men and women who are no longer alive. You can visit their graves to this day. But the faith of Jesus is a faith based in life. A faith based in someone who said, listen, I have the power to defeat death and sin's effects on our life. And we can raise and walk in newness of life because of that. He loved us enough to sacrifice his life as a payment for our sin, for my sin. And he's powerful enough to defeat death. And not only that, he gives us the opportunity to partake in that life. It's not like he's just showing off over there. Hey, look what I can do. Sorry for you. <laughs> he says, come on. Be a part of this. Romans chapter 6. There's a few more Verses ahead of what I was reading a second ago. So you're going to flip a page if you're in your Bible. It says, what should we say then? So it says, God's going to forgive us. Should we go on sinning so that his grace should increase? That makes sense. I mean, if we, we sin, then Jesus raised from the dead. We accept him. So we just keep on sinning because there's like an infinite free pass. Paul says, no, by no means. We are those who died to sin. How can we go on living in it any longer? Or don't you know that any of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we were therefore Buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He invites us to partake in that life. This afternoon at 1.30 down at Curry Beach, we're going to celebrate something. You guys, uh, you guys might know Maria. She was up here who's singing, uh, the blonde-haired lady who was singing up here earlier. Um, we love Maria. She's great. In fact, uh, later we're going to celebrate a mission trip that she's going on um, later this year. And you know, we were talking recently, and she's decided recently to become a missionary. She's like, I want to travel around the world and talk about Jesus to people. So we were talking, and I, was, I said, Maria, have you ever been baptized as an adult? And she said, no. I was baptized as a child. I, did, I didn't make that choice. My parents made it for me. I was like, that's great. It's great that your parents wanted you to live for God, but um, have you ever made the decision to, to do that? And she said, I'm so glad you asked because I really wanted to ask but I wasn't sure what I should do. So we went and we looked at this passage and some others about baptism. We say baptism is a choice that every single person makes. And this is part of the reason why. Today at 1.30, Maria is going to be baptized. And when she does that, she's going to be buried 
with Christ into the water. It's this beautiful picture of what actually happens to the old me, the old you, buried and then raised to walk in newness of life. You see that? We can partake in his resurrection. Also, by the way, Maria is the first person I've ever met who decided to become a missionary before she decided to get baptized. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. It just shows that God's plan works however, as long as you're faithful and obedient to him. That's how it works. And so you're invited to come and share in that if, uh, if you can get away from lunch long enough to come celebrate down at Curry Beach with, with Maria and, and her friends. Um, Easter and the resurrection wasn't just God showing off. It wasn't just a show of his love, though indeed it was a show of his love. It was an invitation. It was an invitation to say, come be a part of this life with me. And he said, I'm going to make a trade with you that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to take the mistakes that you made. I'm going to take your imperfection and your brokenness. I'm going to take your fears, your doubts, and your pains. I'm going to take all of that. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Here's what I want to do. I want to make a trade with you. I'm going to take that bundle deal that is your life, and I'll make a trade with you. You can have my perfect life instead. And I'll take the guilt of all the things that have happened in your life. And you can walk in newness of life. And when I look at that, I go, God, that doesn't make any sense. But thank you. It's called grace. At our church, we've got these three things we like to say. We like to say that we want to be God-chasing, grace-shaped, love agents. God-chasers are people who put God in the middle of everything they do. We're not perfect. We don't get it right all the time. But whatever we do, we want to say, how is God affecting my decision right now? Grace-shaped says this. We come with our messed up life and whatever's left. I always say that it's like a ball of Play-Doh or clay. And you, everyone gets a brand new one when you first come into this world. It's this beautiful cylindrical piece of Play-Doh that came right out of the can, you know. But then life happens, right? And you squish it and you pull it and maybe you give some away and you end up with like a big green piece on your red Play-Doh. You're like, ah, you know, and you walk in. And when we come into a setting like this, we all bring whatever we got. We bring that Play-Doh and we're like, this is, this is me. <laughs> you know what Jesus says? I'll take that. I'll take that. It's being grace shaped, not shaped by the conditions of this world, by shaped, but shaped by the love and the grace that only God can give. We want to be God chasing, we want to be grace shaped, and we want to be love agents. Love agents is about taking that grace that God gave us, sharing it with other people, sharing it with the world, being love agents. When you look at the whole Bible, the whole thing is a countdown. It's a countdown. You know that anxiety that builds at New Year's as you're counting down to the New Year's? You're like, 10! Nine, eight, and we get pumped about the newness and the fresh start. Seven, six, five, and God has been working and counting down on this plan for victory for all of us. Since the beginning of time, he had you in mind. Four, three, there were prophecies, there was history, there was a nation who was awaiting a savior. God was preparing a way for a day when the Lord of all could come to earth and we could accept him in two, one, the resurrection of Jesus. But it didn't stop there. Because God has been working on you too. It might have been through your friend that invited you today. It might have been through some random act of whatever that said, yeah, I'm going to church today. <laughs> I'm just here. I'm talking to somebody right now. I know it. You're going to tell me later. Like, Remember when you said that? You were talking to me. And that God has been going 10, 9. I saw that. It's okay. Listen, let's get right. 8. Seven, come on, six, five, and by whatever grace there is that God has, he brought you into this room today, and maybe your countdown's still going. First, I want to tell you this, stick around. We're actually starting a teaching series next week called Under Construction. 
because that's the way I feel sometimes. I think you do too, under construction. And this is, these are, there are four weeks talking about God's specific plan to bring you back to him. But maybe you're at two, one, and you realize there's only one path back to God. That's Jesus. It's a countdown. It's a countdown to victory. I want to share with you as we close today a story that, um, man, it gets me pretty excited. Uh, I made a friend about a year ago. It was like exactly a year ago I made a friend. Her name's Kayleen, and she came for the first time to Venture Church on Easter Sunday. And uh, she wasn't a God chaser. (laughs) She wasn't pursuing God with her life at all. She came because a friend invited her. I want to let her tell you her story. Kayleen Brown, and this is my story. I grew up with my dad being a strong Christian. Um, My mom never made us go, so I don't have to go. I was very, I had a bad attitude, always getting into trouble, always starting problems. I've been sexually assaulted twice. I tried to kill myself a few times, so I I had a pretty bad before I finally started coming to church, until my mom's best friend, Stephanie, asked me to, asked me if I wanted to go to church for her Easter Sunday, and uh, I went Easter Sunday, and then I just stuck to it, I just learned more and enjoyed the way I was learning it. I would see things kind of change about myself. And then once I joined small group and I started to do more for the church and everything, it just, that's when I kind of started seeing things get a lot better for me. I would start talking, me and Stephanie would talk more about it, like when we'd leave church and go to lunch, and I was just like, I understand it, and I want to know more about this. And when I went to Venture Basics is when it was just kind of like, kind of just triggered it. I was, okay. This, this is starting to make sense. This is starting to look like something that I should probably be doing with my life. I can, I can change now, and I can make this switch today. And I want to get baptized. Like, I want to make this change. I, I was nervous leading up to it. But then when I got in the water, I was like, this is for him. Like, it was a change. And when I went, when I came up, it was just like, I just felt new. And... I just felt happy. It was just like one of the best days by far that has ever happened to me. It's because of Jesus, because of God. I can tell that life is bettering. I try to pray at least every day. You know, I pray for other people that are around me. Like I, people who yell at me through cars, I'm like, (laughs) I'm gonna pray for you. Like. Right now, my main focus is my boyfriend and trying to get him to follow God and follow his footsteps and see where God can be in his life. He has a two-year-old that I would love to watch grow up in church. I would love to watch him at a young age follow God and not go through the hard life that I went through. I can't thank Stephanie enough for helping me get where I am. Um, And I would love, more than anything in life, to be able to be that influence for someone else. 
like she has been for me. So, Kayleen, thanks for sharing your story with us, and uh, somebody get her a tissue. Um, you know, Easter's about life. That's, that's why we do Easter eggs and little bunnies and chicks. They represent new life. It's spring. It's, it's the new life that God brings. And I, I just want to tell you, like, at our church, we, we say we're church for people who don't like church. And uh, maybe you've seen that on some of the stuff, especially if you're a friend who came today. Uh, and you're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, do you not talk about God? Do you not talk about sin? Oh, heck yeah, we talk about sin. But we want to take down all the other walls, all the other mess that just gets in the way and clumps it up because the reality is we got to get right down to what matters most, connecting to Jesus and the life that he brings. If you're anywhere on that journey right now and, and saying, I want, to, I want to make a decision to live for, for Jesus, one thing we, we don't do here, one of the things uh, that, we, that we don't do here, is we, we're not going to make you walk up to the front and, and say anything in front of the whole group. That's, that's, you can be shy and embarrassing. And Here's what I want you to do. The friend that you came with, if you came with a friend, start with them. Say, listen, I'm really thinking today. I think I ought to make some changes. If you didn't come with anybody, find me. I got time today. Like, just flag me down, and, and we'll, we'll find somebody that you can talk to, and it'll, it'll be a beginning for a new start for you. But you might be at a place where you're like, I don't know. You're coming on a little bit heavy today, okay? <laughs> I'm not ready for all this change stuff. Here's, here's all I'm asking you to consider. Come back next week. It's all I'm asking you to consider. We're going to do this, this four-part teaching series next week that's going to go through talking about our relationship with God and how he can build us under construction. And so please, just come back next week. And in fact, if you can stomach it for four weeks, give it that. And if you give it Easter Sunday and four more weeks and you're like, I'm just still done. Well, you tried. And I'll keep praying for you.